Uh, I'm Wade, by the way. I'm one of the pastors here. And um, one of the, the song we sang earlier, Jesus, I, My Cross Have Taken. When, when Nate chooses these songs, he does it with intention. And one of the things that good songs do in the church is they teach us as well. Um, so we, want, we try to be thoughtful with the songs that we choose. And the song that we sang earlier includes these lines. Think what spirit dwells within thee. Think what father's smiles are thine. Think that Jesus died to win thee. Child of heaven, canst thou repine? Repine is not a word that we use often, but repine means can we be anxious or fret? And that is uh, what we're going to talk about today. Um, We're singing these truths, and sometimes we sing them not because we believe them, but because we want to believe them. And I hope and pray that as we preach, as we listen to the word of God, that God will change in us, do something in us. So we're going to approach the word with this expectation that God can and will do something for his people. He'll feed us, he'll comfort us, he will equip us and challenge us. So if you turn to your bulletin, turn to page four. I'm going to read John chapter 14, verses 27 through 31. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I will come to you. If you love me, you would have rejoiced, because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me. But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from there. This is the word of God. We're going through the farewell discourse, and the farewell discourse are the last words that Jesus speaks to his disciples before his crucifixion. And Jesus, we, in this passage, Jesus has just, has just told them that he's going to leave them. And when he tells them this, this is like a bomb that's dropped in the room. These disciples that have spent the past three years every day with Jesus, to hear that Jesus is going to leave them, this completely throws them off. They are scared, they're anxious, they're uncertain, they've lost their bearings. And Jesus speaks these words to them in today's passage. And throughout the farewell discourse, he speaks these words so that his disciples would be comforted. But not only comforted, but that they'll also be strengthened, that they will be girded and equipped for the days and years ahead. Because Jesus doesn't, his intent isn't ultimately for them just to feel good and be comfortable. But his intent for his disciples is that they will continue to expand his kingdom for them to make disciples. And this is why our vision as a church is we want to follow Jesus and help others follow Jesus. This is what disciple making is. So as we look at the text today, my, my aim in preaching is that we would understand and receive what Jesus gives his disciples this, this evening before his death and what he, off, what he promises his followers today. So I want us to take hold of the peace that we want and that we need. So that's what we're going to talk about today, peace. And before I go further, I want to acknowledge this, that this idea of peace, for many of us, it just seems very theoretical. We, we, we think that we have peace in our lives. We say we might acknowledge peace. But the reality is we're often filled with anxiety. We are disoriented when things don't go our way. 
or maybe this word peace. It's, it's a word we use in religious settings. Um, it's kind of this idea that everyone kind of likes. But the word peace has become so threadbare to us that it hardly means anything. Because we can't imagine that talking about something like peace this morning would make any real difference in our lives. If you feel that way, if that is your thought, you should know that you are not alone. For many of us, this concept of peace, it kind of hangs over our head as, as this unattainable idea, as, as something that's, that we'll never really be able to achieve. This is true whether or not we consider ourselves religious. And yet we still want it. We all want peace in the world. We want peace in China as they deal with the coronavirus situation. We want peace in our nation as we see those on the left and those on the right become further and further apart from each other. We want peace in our tension-filled marriages. We want peace in our minds as we dwell on the regrets of the past. We all want peace. But what if we never find peace in those situations? What if we never find peace in the world, in our relationships? Then what? What would peace look like for us? I have three points this morning to help us understand. So they are in your bulletin. The first is the promise of Jesus' peace. The second is the root of the peace that Jesus offers us. And finally, the cost of the peace that Jesus offers us. So our first point, the promise of peace. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at the first portion of John 14. And this is when Jesus tells his disciples to not let their hearts be troubled. He uses this word hearts very intentionally. And he repeats the command today in today's passage, verse 17, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And we mentioned a couple weeks ago, hearts, this word cardia, this refers to a person's inner being. It's the, the central command of a person. It's how they process everything. It's how they decide what to do. It pro- it, this is where our affections are formed. And to be troubled and the way that Jesus is talking about here is to have your heart, your, your inner man, this inner person shaken in you. And here for the disciples, they need to hear this from Jesus because they themselves have been shaken. Their foundations are shaken by the news that Jesus is soon going to be leaving them. Now this is shocking for the disciples because just a few days before this, when Jesus rode into, into Jerusalem... Everyone was elated. Everyone was so happy because they thought that Jesus was going to lead them to defeat the Roman oppressors. This was just on a few days ago. And then here, I mean, we talked about this months ago. But if you read through the Bible, it's just, it's in the span of a few days. They could not have imagined that Jesus would leave them. So Jesus knows exactly what they're feeling And he tells them, let not your hearts be troubled. And again, Jesus is always very intentional about his wording. He doesn't say, don't let your world be troubled. Jesus is speaking about something that's happening inside of them. Jesus won't let them put their confidence in a change of the situation because sometimes the situation won't change for us. Instead, Jesus points them to what will happen internally when there's trouble externally. Note, there are two parts to this imperative. He tells them, number one, do not be troubled, and number two, don't be afraid. 
So to be troubled means that, some, that, that something is happening in the present. There's something that's, that's disturbing me. We're troubled when we feel the weight of a situation in the present, in the moment. But it's not ever just in the moment. You're not only thinking of this very moment in which I'm feeling some, some type of anxiety or, disp- or unpeace. Jesus spells out the implication for us. This is why he extends it. He says, don't be afraid. He extends us into the future. Fear is looking forward to the future. We experience fear because we have the ability to, to think of scenarios that might happen in the future, whether it be five years from now or 12 seconds from now. I was reading a, uh, an article online this week, and they said that human beings are the only um, mammal that can hypothesize, meaning we can look forward to the future and think about what may or may not happen. And that's what fear is for us. We can come up with ideas of what may or may not happen to us. And when we do those things, if it seems like something unpleasant may happen, there's irritability. There is a restlessness or stress. There is anxiety. One of the best-selling nonfiction books from 2019 is um, on Amazon. It's entitled, Maybe You Should Talk to Someone. And I was just, some guys were talking about this outside at first, um, called Maybe You Should Talk to Someone by a therapist by the name of Lori Gottlieb. And Gottlieb is a therapist who wrote a book about her experiences talking to another therapist. And this includes the insights that she's gained over the course of her career. And she just talks about this is what my experience was as a therapist, seeing another more experienced therapist. Um, In her case, it's an older man who has many more years of experience under his belt. And she recounts this conversation that she had. This is the exchange, talking about the nature of life. And this is what the older therapist said to her. The nature of life is change, and the nature of people is to resist change. Now, this is her commentary. This was a paraphrase of something he'd read that had resonated with him both personally and as a therapist, he told me, because it was a theme that informed nearly every person's struggle. Change is something that affects almost every person that struggles, she says. And this is the older therapist speaking again. When the present falls apart, so does the future we had associated with it. And having the future taken away is the mother of all plot twists. What she's saying is this, as long as things are going okay, as long as things stay the same, most of us can manage, we can get by just fine, but what happens if things don't? Some of us really love this predictability and comfort, but what happens when that predictability and comfort is taken away? For someone like me who likes things stable, I am shaken up. And maybe if you're like that, or even if you aren't, um, you would, I think we would all at least say that the unknown is a source of anxiety for us. And if, if this isn't a source of anxiety, then let me suggest to you that one day you will feel it. There will come a day when you will no longer have control over your bodily functions. I, my father is in his 70s, and you know, I see packages of Depends around the house, and um, I hope he's not listening to this online later. It's, <laughs> I think sometimes he does. Uh, there's going to come a time when the functionality of our organs is not predictable, or when 
we're going to be completely out of control of the health of our loved ones or the direction of our relationships can go one way or another when the behavior of our children, we can't control that. One day, the stability of our portfolio, what happens with the stock market, we're not in control of that. And what happens when those times come, when, when the present falls apart and the future that we had associated with it, how will we respond when there is fear, when there is a lack of peace? Jesus says in this passage, do not fear for what will happen in the future. What does Jesus do in this passage? He gives us a peace for the present and a peace that extends into the future. No matter what comes for those who receive this peace that Jesus offers, we don't need to shrink back. We can live with a deep security when we receive the peace that Jesus offers. Uh, there are times when this isn't true of us. I, I think of a sketch that uh, was on Saturday Night Live in the 90s. And I watched Saturday Night Live in the 90s, and it wasn't that good back then. But um, there were some characters. Here's Amen for someone uh, who's, who watched SNL from the 90s. Um, there, there was uh, one guy that you know from the 90s, Will Ferrell. And he has this skit entitled Wake Up and Smile. And it stars Will Ferrell along with a, a, a female co-host. As, or they, they, they star as co-host to this, um, this uh, morning television show. So it's these two anchors plus a weatherman. And this, this is one of those very like, stereotypical, very cherry, very um, sunshiny shows where they just talk about fun things in culture and entertainment and the weather. And... They're smiling, um, the camera's turned on, they start talking to their audience, they say their lines, and then a minute into the show, Will Ferrell, he's talking about the next segment of the show, and he says, and now with the cooking segment, here's Diane, and then he says again, and now with the cooking segment, here's Diane, and now with the cooking segment, here's Diane, and he keeps on saying it, and then he realizes what's going on. The teleprompter has stopped working, and it's just playing the same line over and over and over, and he starts panicking, and he looks into the camera. This is what he says. The, the teleprompter on which everything appears on is broken. We're having what's known in the business as technical times, and the hosts, they are confused. They don't know what to do. They try to make things up. They just they ad-lib by making comments about anything that comes to mind. So they talk about the color of their car. They talk about problems in society, but this is completely nonsensical. And then, much to their relief, it cuts to a commercial. But the show goes back on. And when they return, the hosts, they're they're clutching their armchairs. They're full of panic, and they make more inane comments. And then the camera cuts to the weatherman. And the weatherman, who is normally this very composed very dignified person, he's panicked as well. And he just says, fear. I must control the fear. Please, someone tell me what to say because his teleprompter isn't working either. And Will, Will Ferrell's character, he begins building this barricade with the furniture and, and he lets out this primal scream. And right when he lets out that primal scream, they cut to a television commercial. But then they return. And when they return... Will Ferrell, he has his shirt off, 
some torches are lit behind him. The weatherman, weatherman, he runs to where Wolf Ferrell is because he thinks there is safety there. But what does Wolf Ferrell do? He attacks him and he chews his head off. <laughs> and then the teleprompter starts working again. And they say, well, we're back. And this is funny to the viewer because I think there's a little bit of truth in it. When, when the teleprompter of our lives, when, when there's something in our lives, a script that we had planned for us, when it's not working out the way that we want, we become fractured. When our plans are derailed, we become so uncomfortable. We don't know what to do. We let our hearts be troubled. This is what Jesus is talking about. And today's passage, Jesus, he says, don't let this happen to you. Don't let this happen to you when things go off script, when things don't work the way they planned, when the future that you had imagined in your life, when it turns out that you're probably not headed there. So Jesus, he says, here is my peace. Jesus doesn't promise to fix all our problems. Jesus doesn't promise to fix our conflicts. He doesn't provide a resolution to everything that we face in our lives. But he says, here is my peace. My peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. The Greek word for peace is Irene. This is where uh, we get the name Irene. Uh, The the word Irenic means very peaceful and calm. Uh, The Hebrew equivalent of this word is shalom. You may have heard this word before. Irene in the Greek and shalom in the Hebrew. And what these words convey is this this calm, this, this inner calm and security that you feel when you know that everything is as it should be. When everything is in its right place, you just feel like things are okay, that you don't have to panic. There is no second guessing. There's no wishing for another set of circumstances. There's no wondering what's lurking in the shadows to harm you. But you have a confidence that things are just okay. They're all right. You don't have to worry. Now, you might be saying, if you're paying close attention to my words that I'm saying something kind of contradictory. Wade, you just said that this peace isn't a result of all your problems being fixed. And then, right now, you just said that there's a type of peace that we have when everything is right, when everything is in its right place. And this seems contradictory. What is going on here? The answer to that question is this. Jesus, he gives a very specific type of peace. He's specific in the way he speaks. Jesus is not just wishing for peace for us. He's giving us his peace. My peace I leave to you. This is a personal peace that only Jesus can give. So he explains it further. This peace is not the kind of peace that the world gives you. This peace is not the type of peace that you can get from the world. Consider all the ways in which we try to have peace of mind. There is mindfulness. There, there are home security systems, like Ring or SimpliSafe. There are medications for us to take. Some of us have GPS watches on our children so we can track them. Some of us go to counseling. Some of us want advice to live a good and moral life because living a good and moral life provides some type of serenity for us. And even for some of us going to church on Sundays, this is a way for us to find peace. And we use these things because it's difficult to cope with life otherwise. And there are so many things to worry about. 
all these things. And there, I'm not saying that there are things wrong with the things I listed, but they deal with the symptoms of a troubled world. They don't deal with a fundamental issue, the, the fundamental issue that troubles us, that troubles us and causes us to fear. So this brings us to our next points, the root of peace. The second half of verse 28 and into 29, read with me. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I, and now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. Jesus tells them that there is a time when he is going to go back to his Father, and he notes that the the disciples, they don't react, they don't respond with joy, they respond with a panic, with a fear. And Jesus says that there is something missing in the disciples. The reason why they're fearing after he told them this is because there's something missing in them. The reason why these disciples are full of fear is more, they're more full of fear than peace is because their priorities are wrong. Jesus tells them that, tells them that he's leaving and they're more concerned about their own welfare than they are about Jesus. And Jesus notices this. And in this moment, Jesus pokes at the self-centered way of thinking of the disciples. He says, if you love me, you will rejoice that I'm going back to where I came from. If the disciples knew what Jesus was saying, they would understand that Jesus' returned to the Father has massive implications. When Jesus says that he's returning to the Father, it means that his work on earth is accomplished. It means that Jesus will be glorified and that the disciples would be in the presence of the Father one day, just as Jesus soon will be. There are all these amazing things that happen when Jesus returns to the Father. It means and it signifies things that matter a whole lot to the believer, to our benefits. This is cause for rejoicing, Jesus says. You should rejoice because of the person that I am. Our peace is rooted not in what may or may not happen if you are a follower of Christ. If you are a follower of Christ, your peace is rooted in the person and work of Jesus. And this is I think the, the point that we need to understand more than anything else I'll say this today, the fundamental issue that determines whether or not we'll have peace or turmoil is our understanding of reality and where Jesus fits in that reality. The fundamental issue that determines whether we have peace or turmoil in our lives is how we understand reality and where Jesus fits in that reality. On the front page of CNN this week, there was an article about a famous person who went on The Ellen Show this week, and this famous person was talking about a family member who's approaching life in an unconventional way, in, in a uh, non-conventional way. And I'm not going to address this particular issue because it's outside the scope of this text, but I thought that this famous person's wording was interesting. He said that he wanted to help his family member live in her truth. Live her truth. He didn't say, I want my family member to live the truth. He said, I want my, my, this person that I love dearly to live her truth. This type of thinking is common in our culture. That the truth is what we want it to be. That we define what is true. That we can define and construct our own realities. Think of the movie Inception. 
the characters are dream architects. That's what they call them. These are dream architects that can create worlds in their minds. And this is what we tend to do. We want to create a type of reality that fits our preferences and our desires. The problem with this thinking is that it puts us at the center of our lives, that our desires, our preferences are what define reality. And here Jesus, as he speaks, he says, there is something truer than what is true for you. He gives us a piece, and it's not a piece about self-actualization or self, self-realization. When Jesus gives us peace, it's not about the improvement in the quality of our lives. Jesus doesn't give us peace so that we would, be, that we would develop a mindset of self-love and self-acceptance. Rather, the peace that Jesus gives is a peace that we have only when we understand reality as it really is, not reality as we wish for it. So Jesus is saying, what is truest is my relationship with my Father. I'm going back to my Father. So there is a type of reality that we make up. There is a reality that is really reality. And in popular culture, I just gave you this example of this uh, person on the Ellen Show. Um, there, are, there is some pushback to this type of thinking. We hear messages in our culture that, that echo the need to be realistic, contra views that are espoused on certain TV shows. One of the best-selling self-help books in recent years is a book by Mark Manson, and it's entitled The Subtle Art of Not Giving an Expletive. Um, Subtitle, A Counterintuitive Approach to Living the Good Life. And he's trying to be really edgy with the title of his book. Uh, I'm impressed, I guess. Um, But he he says "There's there's a subtle art to living life well, and what sets this book apart from other self-help help books is that it tries to be as realistic about what we can and should achieve in this life. So Mark Manson, he's, he's anti-coddling, he's anti-feel-good, anti-self-love. And people love his advice because they hear something true in it. And they love it so much that six million people bought his book in the past three years. And this is what he writes in his book. The ticket to emotional health is accepting the bland and mundane truths of life. Truths such as your actions don't matter that much in the grand scheme of things. And the vast majority of your life will be boring and not noteworthy and that's okay. This is the advice that he gives. And when we understand these boring truths that don't align with our big-headed plans, then something good happens. He continues... The constant pressure to be something amazing, to be the next thing, will be lifted off your back. The stress and anxiety of always feeling inadequate and constantly needing to prove yourself will dissipate. And the knowledge and acceptance of your own mundane existence will actually free you to accomplish what you truly wish to accomplish without judgment or lofty expectations. So here he is pushing back against what this person on Ellen said. You don't live in your own truth. You need to live in accord with reality. And Manson, who is not a Christian as far as I know, he gets us halfway there. He says, yes, you should be realistic. But he's unable to provide something outside of ourselves to be truly at peace. And this is what Jesus offers that's unique Jesus says, the ultimate root of our joy and our peace is the relationship between God the Father and Jesus the Son. 
Look at verse 29. Now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. To believe means to rest your inner person, the deepest part of you, in Christ, in the truth of Jesus. To believe means that our entirety, the entirety of our person is resting on the truth of Jesus. And in order to have this peace that Jesus speaks of, we need to be aligned with the deep reality of the Trinitarian God. We see the Trinity all over this farewell discourse. There is God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All three persons who comprise the the singular Godhead. It's this Trinitarian God who upholds the universe. If you want to have the peace that Jesus speaks of, you need to be aligned with the deep, deep reality of the Trinitarian God. At the very foundation of reality, everything that we see is the unshakable relationship between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Christian story says that all of creation is a result of this loving, joyful, exuberant relationship between the Father, Son, and Spirit. And it overflowed into creation. And this is why in Genesis 1, the creation of the world, we see this, there's a subtext of a conversation between multiple persons. This is at the heart of reality. That this Trinitarian God that has always existed before the dawn of time. And until we understand that Jesus is at the center of everything, we'll never fully be at peace. Jesus says, it's my peace I give to you. Not peace that you can find in the world. It's only in me that you can have this peace. This is foundational to all of reality. When we're aligned with the ultimate truth, the good and honor of Jesus becomes our deepest joy. This is why Jesus says, if you knew what was going on, you would rejoice then. You would rejoice then. When we're aligned with the ultimate truth, we can rest on the unchanging truth that God is God. You are not God. You are not in control of your life. Jesus is at the center of your reality. It's not our problems. It's not our self-image. It's not our self-made identity that's at the root of who we are. At the root of who we are is that we are created by the Lord Jesus Christ. And to be truly human is to live life in accordance with that reality. When we go outside the bounds of existence as God intends, we dehumanize ourselves. And this is what Jesus is saying in verse 28. And this is why Jesus says that the peace he gives us is not as the world gives. Because this is a supernatural peace This is a supernatural peace that's rooted in the Trinitarian God that extends far beyond anything that we can think of ourselves, past anything that others can do for us. This is a peace that stretches across the entire universe. However, billions of light years across, this is the peace of Jesus that extends beyond anything the world can give us. Listen to the word from Isaiah 26. You keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. Our troubles are for a moment. It may be 80 years, but the Lord God is an everlasting rock who will never be shaken. 
the troubles we face today and the fears we have for tomorrow, they are but a tiny drop in the bucket of the reality of the Trinitarian God that we serve. This is the root of our peace. That God is God. That Jesus is returning to the Father. So he offers us peace. And how can we have this peace? And finally, our, our last point, the cost of peace. So Jesus is speaking these words to his disciples during the time which we call the Pax Romana. This is the 200-year period when the Roman Empire enjoyed relative peace is where we get the word uh, Pax, the Pax Romana. Pax Romana. Um, this is when different nationalities they, within the empire were able to coexist with um, fairly little conflict. And there was an infrastructure around the region that was built so that there would be trade and commerce. This could happen. And about a third of the world at this time, about 70 million people lived under this uh, Pax Romana, this period of peace. This included the disciples who he's, he's talking to. So in this time, there is relative political stability. There is social peace. There are financial opportunities and abundance for many of the people that are, that's, that are living in this time. The Pax Romana, Romana uh, a very notable time in world history. But this peace came at a cost. This peace was achieved through the sword. The Roman Empire fought for it. Nations and rulers had to be crushed and subdued. The government had to enforce the peace through military power. And Jesus is speaking against this backdrop. And Jesus says, I don't come to offer you a better version of Pax Romana. I'm giving you a peace that only I can give. And he doesn't do it by force like the Roman Empire. He does it by sacrifice and service and self-denial. Jesus says in this passage that the prince of the world is coming for him. But he has no claim on him. Satan has no claim on Jesus. Jesus voluntarily lays his life down for his people so that they would have peace. And the gospel is this. In his life on earth, Jesus served and sacrificed for us. He lived a perfect life in accordance with reality that we could not. Jesus pursued the interests of those who had no interest in him. And he laid down his life so that they would have more than just peace in this world. Jesus laid down his life so that we would have peace with God Our sin made it impossible for us to have this relationship with God. But on the cross, Jesus made it possible because Jesus took the sins of you and me on himself and he paid the penalties of those sins. On the cross, the peace of Jesus was ripped apart. He was undone physically. He was undone spiritually. When he was abandoned by the Father, he was undone socially. He was abandoned by his friends. And this is why in Colossians 1 it says this, that Jesus made peace by the blood of the cross. The cost of our peace was the peace of Jesus. And when we have peace with God, we can be at peace with the world. We know that whatever happens is ultimately in the good and wise hands of our God. We can be at peace with each other. The reconciliation between us and God enables us to reconcile with one another. We can have peace with ourselves. How many of us dislike ourselves? How many of us have distorted self-images? How many of us are filled with regrets about things we did or didn't do? 
How many of us have quirks about ourselves that we hate? The peace Jesus gives us allows us to have peace with ourselves as well. Jesus says, no one has a claim on me. And in the same way, we are not claimed by anyone except Jesus. Jesus has put his stamp on you. Jesus owns you. Jesus holds you and he cares for you like a shepherd. You belong to Jesus. You are fully and wholly and completely loved. As much as you dislike yourself, as much as you dislike the situation that you're in, Jesus says, I still love you. I will still hold you. The ruler of the world has no claim on Jesus, but Jesus has a claim on us because Satan has no claim on us either. And this peace is what makes it possible for us to lay down our lives. Remember, I said earlier that Jesus is equipping his disciples to carry out the work of building his kingdom, of making more disciples. If you have this deep inner peace and security, you can lay down your own life. You can be okay with defeat. You can be okay with failure and embarrassment and loss of reputation when you have this peace, you can love and serve the world. Then we can make disciples with courage. This peace is not bound by our circumstances. It transcends our experiences. This is the peace that Jesus offers us today. Will you pray with me? Father God, we are amazed. Uh, Sometimes we're amazed by our own difficulties. We think, how can it be that my life is so difficult? How can it be that I'm so filled with anxiety and stress, and yet you do not leave us there. You offer us a deep settling, knowing that you are in control and that you give us your peace. So for those of us who are at unpeace, I pray that you would make this true of us. I pray that we would be humble enough to receive what you have to offer and that we could receive it with joy and ultimately so that you could be glorified, God. We pray this in the name of Jesus, who is our peace. Amen.